It's January 20th, 2016, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marsh Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. We're going to kick off the show today with a couple of news guests. Tony Bacigalupo joins us from Open Coworking, and he's here in Hawaii to facilitate a networking session at the Mano Innovation Center in just a little bit. Then, Melly James from the Hawaii Venture Capital Association returns to tell us about the next monthly luncheon. Finally, we'll look ahead to the upcoming 2016 legislative session. What bills are in the works relating to science and technology? We'll find out all about that with our guest coming up. And, of course, you can join this conversation um, with uh, HTDC uh, and Robbie Milton and, of course, uh, State Senator Glenn Wakai. And we certainly welcome your comments and questions as part of that conversation. You can call in or send us a tweet after the break. Tony uh, Bachigalupo is here, and he's first up, and he's with Coworking.com, and we want to welcome you to the show, Tony. Well, thanks, Bert, and thanks, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited. Uh, it's my first time on uh, uh, in Hawaii since I was a little tiny baby, and I don't remember it, so uh, it's just so <laughs> great to be here. It's just such a wonderful place to be, and I'm excited to see all of the great things that are happening here. There are some amazing communities of people here doing some really great things to help support so entrepreneurs. So in, in the process of your uh, getting an idea as to what's going on in Hawaii, what were some of your sources of information? Well, I was able to actually connect with a couple of folks who have been active in the co-working scene on a more national scale. Mm -hmm. There were a couple of folks who have attended conferences on the mainland and elsewhere who are from here, who I reached out to once I knew that I was coming into town. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I actually knew a couple of guys who had started one of the first co-working spaces, the first co-working space in Hawaii, uh, called the Box Jelly. Mm -hmm. They, five years ago, were just college students who were coming uh, to New York, where I was operating a co-working space, to learn about sort of what was going on there. They saw what I was working on. I told them that they could do it. I gave them whatever tips I could. They came back and used that inspiration to get their space started, and now they're up and running and doing great. So I reached out to them. They were excited to have me. Some other folks were connecting me to you guys and some other folks. And before I knew it, I had a whole bunch of friends here. Well, and, you know, tell us about uh, Eric Eric Blair because Eric uh, is – on Maui, and, and uh, there's a Maui co-working space that's getting started up by HDDC, correct? And so that was part of a connection, too, that was made, right? Yeah, Eric was a tremendous connection. He's very active in the scene. Mm -hmm. He came to one of the conferences in, uh, in the States last year, and so he was a great connector, and uh, he's very active, and it seems like there's just a lot of folks who are getting into this now, and so I'm excited to be a part of it here. Well, we have been watching and tracking the Corrigan movement from its nascent and early mm -hmm. days. Nascent. I mean, back when it was just a, a wiki page and we were trying to find anyone interested in it, there there was a conference that Bird organizes every year called the Unconference, where a lot of these same people came together as they started to uh, put to formulate their plans for that. And I would say that the Corrigan movement in Hawaii has waxed and waned. There have been many, many, many. There have been fewer sometimes. Um, but it's very exciting that it continues and that you've made these connections. So for those who aren't familiar with it, uh, people like it's a step up from everyone showing up at Starbucks to work together. But what is the current state of co-working? Because you have this broader uh, national view of this movement. Sure. So what's really happening, you know, we see co-working and you see these kinds of funky different kinds of workspaces. But what's really happening is that our relationship with work fundamentally is changing. 
the notion that it was kind of a foregone conclusion that most people tend to work nine to five mm-hmm. full time in an office managed by the employer uh, is really gradually and very inexorably not becoming the norm anymore. And so more and more people are working from home. More and more people are working for themselves. More and more people are making a living doing all sorts of different things. And so people's relationship to their work and to their workspace is changing in a, a litany of different ways. Coworking arose at a time, not coincidentally, it started in 2005, when a critical mass of people started getting laptops, started getting Wi-Fi, and people, as soon as they were able to get out of their house and still be online, started doing so. And so we see that happening in cafes, which is a great start. But ultimately, people need to feel like they belong to something that's bigger than themselves. And in the 20th century, we found that in a large part, when you were working for a company. And so you identify with that company as being sort of that thing that you, is your, your, the thing you identify with. Mm-hmm. But now when we're all sort of scattered working for ourselves, it's exciting to be independent. But in reality, we're not independent uh, as individuals. We're interdependent. We depend on each other to help each other out. And so co-working spaces and co-working communities, not just spaces, but people who meet up in other ways, uh, are all just arising as a phenomenon that uh, that is uh, a result of this need. And this need is growing. It's growing tremendously. There's thousands and thousands of co-working spaces in the world now. Uh, it's gone. It's been doubling virtually every year since 2005. And the growth is showing no signs of stopping. Do you think that it has anything to do with a millennium kind of a, a movement? There's more young people that are interested in co-working. And the other side, second sort of side question to that is, I, I, it's encouraging that you've seen this this growth and the sort of redefinition of work. I'm curious to see what percentage do you think uh, of of workers are actually now working in sort of co-working and these independent uh, environments? And is it is it a percentage that's it's probably small, but is it growing? And is it you know is it sustainable? So I'll try. I'll start to answer that second question <laughs> sure. yeah, first. Sorry, I, yeah, you know, I get a slew of questions all at once. I do I have I do have a statistics, but I, I I'd have to pull it up, and I might be able to pull it up in time. Uh, but well, I maybe do know, talk about the millennial question first. Sure. So I would say, so generationally speaking, this definitely this direction definitely is driven by cultural shifts that one associates with the millennial movement. Uh, in terms of not being too tied to one company, not being too tied to one location, that kind of a thing. But in reality, it's very diverse in terms of generational, in Mm -hmm. terms of social class, all of these different things. You have people, when I was running a co-working space in New York called New Work City, we started out having a lot of folks that were around my age at the time. They were in their mid-20s, getting into startups or freelancing, whatever it was. But as the word got out and more and more people got involved, We had people from 16 to 62. And as we got more and more into it, the the ages trended upward. And you started seeing more people in their 40s and 50s involved. I think you got a lot of boomers who are getting out of traditional work, whether by retirement or by choice or whatever it is. And they got a lot of gas left in the tank and they Mm -hmm. want to do something Mm -hmm. different from the way they've been doing it. And so this is an extremely diverse movement Mm -hmm. that is happening at every age level. 
So, Tony, um, this is a great preview because you are not here much longer, but you have made these connections. You've started these conversations. And tonight, after the show, in fact, you're going to be organizing and hosting a open conversation about the co-working movement, its current state, and its potential here in Honolulu. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What do you? What will you be doing at this uh, event this evening? Sure. So what's happening is that all of these spaces just started kind of popping up as people needed them, right? Communities just started arising. And this is an emergent movement. All over the world, people are doing the same thing, right? Completely natural. But what's happening is that we've kind of by accident built an infrastructure that supports the need of the new workforce without anybody actually trying to do it from the top down. And so what we've got now is this incredible support system that's happening in all these different shapes and sizes with these different kinds of communities, But there's no actual rhyme or reason to it. Everyone's just kind of doing their own thing. And so part of what we're trying to do now is to coordinate the activities of these groups, get them talking to each other, and look for opportunities to raise the profile of what's happening so that when people are considering joining the new workforce or when they find themselves in the new workforce, they don't have to feel like they're on their own. People should know that odds are very good that wherever they are, There is a place they can go somewhere within walking or biking distance of where they live where there are other people like them who can help them get on their feet, get started, and get successful, and just to get out of the house and be around other people they like, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. to so many people is just so valuable. So what we're going to talk about tonight is how can we learn more about the communities that are here, what they're already up to, where they want to be going, and how they can be coordinating their actions in a more... Um, harmonious way for the sake of everyone's benefit. Great, great. So tell us specifically where, when, and I think uh, you need to probably go to this because it's like right after the show. Uh, Yes, so it's uh, 6.30 p.m. tonight at the Manoa Innovation Center uh, being run by the HTDC, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who I believe you'll be hearing from someone uh, later on. So if you're hearing this and you're interested in talking and meeting up, we'll be there at 6.30 p.m. tonight at uh, the HTDC. Uh, If you want to find the details in the event, you can uh, look me up on Twitter, twitter.com slash Tony B. Good, T-O-N-Y-B-G-O-O-D-E. Very nice. Tony B. Good. And I got a statistic for you. 34% of America, that's 53 million people, are working as freelancers at least part-time. All right. Very good. Very good uh, retrieval. (laughs) <laughs> well, thanks, Tony, for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate it, And, of it, guys. course, next up is Mele James, and uh, she's here with the name on the chair and everything. <laughs> and Hi, Bert. Hi, Ryan. Have to start char- <laughs> we're going to have to start charging rent at some point. That's right, yeah. And she's here to tell us about the uh, next HVCA luncheon. Welcome to the show, Mele. Thank you, Bert. Thanks, Ryan. Happy to be here. Now, before we get to that, I did want to ask you very quickly. I mean, you were very, very busy last week with the East Meets West Conference, of course, organized by many stakeholders. How do you feel that went? Now, a two-day event, which we previewed before the event, where we're showcasing the startups and entrepreneurial community and the innovation economy here in Honolulu. I thought it went really well. I I attended the entire time, and it was just jam-packed with really interesting new content. A lot of speakers not from the area that we haven't heard from before speaking about 
you know, great things happening in Asia, interesting things on crowdfunding. Um, I thought Demo Day went really well. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just a great showcase of the 15 companies that were graduating from Blue Startups, GVS, Accelerate UH, as well as the Startup Weekend winners, which was really fun to see. And then you also had the MCAP, the pitch, the final pitch off. Yep. MCAP happened in three different sessions on on Friday. And And it was really fun to see the two winners. And they're going to be heading off to Barcelona. Excellent. Were there any deals that you might have uh, heard of or maybe caught an inkling of that might have been done in the hallways uh, in some side conversations? You don't have to give us the details, but, you know, we'd love to hear whether some deals were actually made. Actually, I think it was a really great um, event where all of our teams could meet with these investors in Mm -hmm. Asia, whether it's perspective, getting strategic partners or introductions. We always, always encourage our teams to get and pitch as much as you can. You never know what's going to happen in a place and a conference like that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that was a fun event. And uh, it, there's always a great energy that happens at the event. And I actually met some startups that uh, I was interested in what they're doing and how they might, uh, you know, succeed, I guess, in the next uh, few years. Yeah, yeah. I was involved. I'm involved in one and we're off to San Francisco That's next right. week to You're continue gonna, the this adventure. The saga. The saga saga continues. continues. All right. So the Hawaii Venture Capital Association, we love to have you here because you always have interesting lunch panels and almost always almost leading the conversation that eventually kind of reaches critical mass. So for this upcoming luncheon, what are you tackling? So this upcoming luncheon on January 28th at the Plaza Club from 1130 to 130, we'll be talking about the 2016 legislative agenda and how it affects the innovation sector. Well, so, that's an interesting topic because we're going to be talking a little bit about that. But so maybe maybe give us a little hint of what you might be focusing on your panel. So maybe we can ask those same questions here today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great idea, yeah. Bert. So they don't have to come to the luncheon. No, no, no. You know what I mean? We'll, well, we'll do a the, teaser. We'll it's do a the teaser. Answers that's that right. are important. Yes. Well, uh, so just like you said, two of the people that will be coming on after this, Robbie Melton from HTDC, as well as Senator Glenn Wakai, will be on the panel. Mm-hmm. In addition, we'll have Rep. Angus McKellar. Mm-hmm. as well as a Sherry Menor McNamara from the Chamber and Louis Salaveria with DBED. So it's going to be a great representation of, of a lot of the stakeholders who are representing the bills and the programs and initiatives that are going to affect us mm-hmm. in 2016 mm-hmm. with what we're trying to do here in the innovation sector. Are you going to be moderating this uh, panel? I will be moderating, Are yes. there any particular questions or maybe particular, uh, let's say, initiatives that are most interesting to you? There are a few initiatives that are that are very interesting. Um, what's what's really interesting is we, I think last year was when we really started to spearhead getting more organized with mm-hmm. the sector. I think in the past, um, you know, in terms of the entrepreneurs and the investors and a lot of the people who do make up the sector haven't really been. Um, organized in a way that we're able to discuss the things that are really going to help us. And we had this legislative agenda luncheon last year. I think you moderated it, Bert, mm-hmm. um, talking about what our needs are. Um, and those needs consistently are around, you know, um, access to capital as well as talent development. Um, and so there are a couple bills that are that are that are coming up um, in this legislative agenda that will be addressing both of those. Good. And I think it's going to be a really robust conversation because everyone has been a lot more informed throughout the past 12 months about what's going on. And we're going to have an open discussion after the panel in terms of what our current and future needs are. I'm curious, uh, since last year and this year, has that voice for this community, this tech sector, been more focused and and who is sort of representative of that voice who is actually the 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 lead spokesperson for that uh, movement 
That's a good question. Um, I would say one of the big things that we're doing is utilizing some of the resources that have been available to mm-hmm. us, which we have not utilized in the past, specifically the chamber, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and really having a voice at the chamber, coming to the meetings, you know, the specific ones um, in our sector, the EDI meetings, right. um, and talking about what our needs are. So they've been incredibly um, helpful, Pono and Sherry, mm-hmm. in terms of getting a couple things um a couple things moving forward that that are that were that were based on things that we actually talked about and and got got on top, onto one of the bills. Well, I know that um, we've tracked sort of the tech and science policy angle on the show for as long as it's been around, and we've found a stronger and stronger independent voice. I would say a mixed and diverse one. So I think this alliance with the Chamber of Commerce, which which is a relatively recent development, is really interesting to me because there you have what you might call, in many ways, the established uh, business community, and they're now seeing value in forming this alliance with perhaps less established, but very different and, a, and an even more diverse kind of business community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think uh, it's a it's a good representation because if you can get the business community to generally support some of the tech initiatives, I think it's more obviously more collaborative and more there's more togetherness. And of course, I think uh, for this community, we need that. Well, and uh, in addition, you know, we 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 see ourselves beyond just the tech community. We mm-hmm. are businesses. Startups are businesses mm-hmm. that are growing into larger businesses. So we're absolutely. Um, should be represented by the chamber as well as getting ourselves organized with, you know, within our own community. So this luncheon is next Thursday, but before we give the details on it, I know that there's you're already looking ahead on your program, and there's some planning and some perhaps creative thinking that you'd like to inspire. So what's coming up on tap? Thanks, Ryan. So in on February 25th, we will be hosting our 16th annual Deal and Entrepreneur of the Year Awards Gala. So this is a real showcase of the successes that have happened in 2015 in terms of the largest deal of the year, entrepreneur of the year, and other entrepreneur um, of the year awards such as tech, social impact, bio, uh, ag, clean tech, young entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and philanthropic entrepreneur. That's a new one that we've added this year. Um, in partnership with EF Hawaii. So it's a huge showcase. Um, PBN will be covering it. We'll have an eight-page spread that that evening showcasing the winners Mm -hmm. and also be doing a house house presentation floor on the floor of the House and the Senate again. So really a showcase of the big wins of last year, um, and we'd love to have people come. But the biggest thing is we would need nominations. Okay. So we would love, please nominate yourselves. We will have three finalists per category, and there are eight categories. Where can somebody go to nominate people? They can go to hvca.org. Now, Millie, as the uh, magazine cover girl, uh, I would say there would be many of those different categories that you would qualify for are you can we nominate you for any no of you cannot i thank you so much ryan <laughs> <laughs> but if you're thinking about it please do not okay i'll keep that <laughs> so it's got to be everybody else besides millie besides me yes no. anyone else in the whole world except well, because me. she would sweep i mean how that's much true. fun really would that <laughs> that's be true. <laughs> all right so for thursday's uh hvca luncheon on the legislative agenda and priorities where, when, and also, where can they find more information? Yes. So it is Thursday, January 28th at the Plaza Club, 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m., and you can find all the details on hvca.org. Very good. Thanks, Melly, for joining us. Thanks, Bert. Thanks, Ryan. And, of course, we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Robbie Melton from the High Tech Development Corporation and Senator 
Glenn Wakai. What are those key initiatives to watch for? We might get a little preview here before the HVCA luncheon. Of course, we'd love your thoughts or questions as part of the conversation, your suggestions perhaps on legislative priorities. So please give us a call at 941-3689 or toll free from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. And of course, we're live here in the studio, so you can also tweet us at Bite Marks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe. All Things Considered has been there through controversial wars. Thousands of young people came to Washington. National disasters. Challenger, go and throttle up. The explosion in the clear blue And breakthrough sky. moments. Just let it sink in. An African-American president of the United States of America. Four decades of bringing you the news on All Things Considered every afternoon. Weekdays from noon to two. We're going to do a little test here, so pay attention, all right? Who is this? I'm not good enough just to flip in and out of, you know, my Brit accent to my American accent. Damian Lewis, he's a Brit with a new show, one of the stars of Billions. Next time on Marketplace, it's from APM. This evening at 6, following Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today are Robbie Melton and State Senator Glenn Wakai. Robbie is the Executive Director and CEO of the state's High Tech Development Corporation. And Senator Wakai chairs the Committee on Economic Development, Environment, and Technology. And, of course, uh, will this biennium carry on the program from the last, or are we looking for some new initiatives? We'd love to hear your comments and questions. And, of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome Glenn and Robbie to Bite Marks Cafe. Great, Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us on today. Absolutely, and today was a very busy day. It's the opening day. What's the what's the well? Who had the best food? Yeah, well, Glenn had. Well, the best food. well oh, I had good food, but <laughs> I have to say that uh, there was Taniokas in some offices, and that was a big draw. But this year was a lot less. Uh, extravagant than previous years. There was no entertainment on the floor. There's no floor seating. It was just speeches. Um, and then people were able to walk around and meet their lawmakers. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it was very much subdued compared to previous years. But uh, also, we had a lot of action going on in the rotunda there at, at the Capitol. So you had right. a, a lot of Native Hawaiian groups, anti-GMO groups, uh, some political candidates. And it was just a uh, bevy of activity around the Capitol, but the actual opening ceremonies themselves were very subdued this year. It's like mm-hmm. everybody's ready to just get down to business already. That's for sure. Now, is there any reason why it was a little subdued? I mean, what what is it that uh, you get the you know you get an email, you get a call, and somebody tells you, okay, Glenn, tone it down this year. Or what's <laughs> what's the, what happens before the actual put away opening? that tiara? Yeah, well, that, that's a. Uh, <laughs> It's the second year of a biennium, so uh-huh. a lot of the heavy lifting happens in the first year, which was ah, last year. Yeah. And this year is just the supplemental. Okay, you have pukas here and there, and we got to fill them. So it's just not as uh, substantive, so, so to speak, in terms of uh, the budgetary issues and some of the policy issues mm-hmm. uh, as well. So give us, can you maybe start off by giving us a little sense of uh, what you see on the horizon with regard to science and technology moving forward into this legislative session? 
Well, I'm still going to promote my AAA economic plan, which is to promote uh, aquaculture, aerospace, and alternative energy. Mm-hmm. And I think we can be global leaders, and we should be global leaders in these three areas, but we're not. Why? Because we don't fund it properly. We don't have enough uh, resources, uh, community support to make these things happen. Uh, I think that we have to figure out where are we going to live in the technology world. We can't be everything to all things. I don't. I, I argue that we have a hard time competing with San Diego in the biotech field, right? Mm-hmm, but we should mm-hmm. be able to own aerospace. We should be the owner of aquaculture. Um, we sh- and alternative energy. So I'm trying to just figure out. How are we going to stop complaining about Hawaii's location as a detriment and figure out how is our location to our advantage? So uh, I'm happy to hear any of your listeners if they have other A's that they want to add to the economic plan. <laughs> Four A's, but five A's. Five A's, uh, quadruple A's, yes. We, 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 we need to figure out where Hawaii's place is. Well, I, gotta, I, I don't have an A, but I do have a B, which is broadband. But we'll get to we that. We can get we'll to get that. that. Now, I, uh, I want to hear more about these very specific proposals that you have. But, Robbie, so um, head of the HDC now, is this moving into your third year in that position? My, yes, it is Fantastic. moving into my well, third year. Well, congratulations. So Thank you're becoming you. old hat, perhaps, at the opening day. Um, and because you're a voice, you're a major advocate for the innovation uh, economy and community here in Hawaii. So from your perspective, Going down there, Tanioka's is good, but everyone's ready to get down to business. Did you have any initial thoughts about uh, how opening day went? I thought it was a, a great day. It gives people an opportunity to go in and actually talk to their legislature because once the session starts, it gets very busy. So it's great that anyone can walk down there. We took uh, our innovation manager down to the state capitol to meet up and see who um, is working with us to help pass very important bills that affect the tech industry. And I know that uh, there are some very specific uh, pieces of legislation that the HTDC is watching as well. Well, so, you know, with HTDC, there's, and and we, we probably get into a lot more detail about this because I think one of the key initiatives that you've been socializing, 8080, we want to definitely talk about that. There's the, there's the, uh, uh, the Kakaako Sandbox that is, all, now, are they, getting translated into bills, they've already been sort of uh, addressed as bills, right? So now it's really more uh, an implementation phase. Well, there's still a lot of work, not just implementation. So last year, as you know, we got funding for three new funding programs, one to support the Hawaii Small Business Innovation Research Mm -hmm, Program uh, to expand it to phase two, phase three. We also have a pilot project right now for alternative energy projects that are funded by Office of Naval Research. So that's a matching program. And then especially the manufacturing grant, which is really going to help leapfrog our manufacturers and potential manufacturers in Hawaii. So those happen. There's also the broadband uh, bill that passed last year, giving $25 million to the state. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there's other things happening with the 8080. We actually applied to the White House to become one of the designated tech hire hubs. And we're waiting any day now for that. And that's a $100 million program out of the federal government to provide accelerated um, training to get into coding and to support the tech industry. Now, that's okay. That's very interesting. So that is... uh um, would a hundred million dollars come to Hawaii via oh, that via I that wish. program? Okay, so what 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 <laughs> portion of that hundred million <laughs> would you be looking for, and how would you actually put it to use? So the um, it's a hundred million dollars across the country. Okay. So there are already thirty five 
regions designated as tech hire hubs, and they're looking to expand it to I don't know how many other states, but there actually is a manu- there's a tech hire grant application due in March, uh, up to five million dollars per per region. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that we are working with Department of Labor to go after. But the tech hire hub designation gives you extra status for mm-hmm. that, and it's really to accelerate. So you've seen the boot camps like Dev League, mm-hmm. and there's another one, ATTC, that's out there in IAEA to really jumpstart people in 12 weeks or, you know, six months to get high-paying jobs instead of going through the traditional methods because that's way too long to get into some of the tech fields. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, so that that certainly sounds interesting. And how, how many other cities are designated tech hire hubs? Right now there's 35, okay. and I don't know how many new additional ones, but there's interest to make Hawaii one, so we're – Crossing our fingers. I would think if there are 35 others, we should be in that mix for sure. Um, Senator Wakai, let's start with um, aquaculture. Last week we talked about floating platforms mm-hmm. that could be self-sustaining, generating their own power and extra power and extra fish to support it economically. So a big idea. They said it needed $1.4 billion. Um, when you see, say Hawaii could be a leader there, what specific um, policy changes do you want to enact or pass this year to accomplish that. It troubles me that we import 60% of the fish we consume. Last year, Hawaii spent about $260 million on purchasing fish from the outside. Our export was $80 million. There's something very wrong with that math. We should be net positive in export, but we're not. Why? Because part of the biggest cost drivers for a livestock cattle, fish, oysters, what have you. 70% of their cost is feed-related. And because we're in the middle of the Pacific and we've had a practice of buying feed from overseas, we can't compete. For example, a bale of hay in Iowa costs $6. A bale of hay that you bring to feed a horse or cattle here is $29. You see how we cannot compete if that's 70% of your business expense. So what we're going to do this year is put in $4 million for what's called a biodigester. I think that's the right term, where we turn in all of our foods that we don't eat from our restaurants. Right now, we collect it, and it goes into the piggeries. But there's more than enough uh, for for the pigs. And we've figured out through technology how we can turn all of our excess uh, doggy bag leftovers Mm -hmm. into something that can be turned into pellets to feed cattle as well as fish. So that's, I hope, going to be a game changer because up until now, getting to that that livestock um, feed issue, we've had to subsidize uh, the Peterson Farms and some of the farmers with a one one point five to four million dollars a year to help them defray that cost because we see the value in having uh, sustainable food sources here. But now we're finally getting at to a point where how do we create our own food source and make these businesses a lot more viable? So how oh, is that um, a bill that is being put forth, and is there a an appropriation associated with that bill? Yeah, so it's not going to be a bill. It's going to be a CIP, a capital improvement project mm. uh, request, and so four million dollars and. Gosh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the Kapolei company that's going to partner with us. Mm-hmm. But we've learned over the years that we don't want to use all of your tax money to fund projects, right? We want the private sector to come in with us uh, because they have a little bit more know-how. They have fewer, less impediments than the state might have. So this is going to be uh, a partnership with Hawaii 
the state of gov- government and a company that is already in this mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. But this is a very facility-specific proposal, and I'm imagining that through your research you found that these play a critical role in other economies, other regions where you have perhaps this disparity that you're trying to resolve to assist businesses. Right, because the business model wasn't going to continue. We cannot continue to provide subsidies for industries that we want to grow. We've got to figure out how we're going to grow our own industries and be less reliant on outside forces. Mm -hmm. Now, you had mentioned another one of the A's was uh, aerospace. And, you know, we've been pretty big fans of uh, aerospace. We've had... uh, um, the folks over from Pisces come on. We've had uh, Jim Cristofoli come on. I know Pisces has had a challenge uh, in terms of funding and, and staying, uh, I guess, sustainable funding. Uh, and I think uh, I saw in the in the supplemental budget a request for some funding for them. But uh, your challenge of, from last session was that they didn't get the the uh, committees to approve the finance committees to approve uh, their funding. What 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 new strategies do you have in mind to convince them otherwise? I think we're going to force them to reinvent themselves because when you look at aerospace, it cannot be just for research sake. We can't pat ourselves on the back because we got all this federal money, all this research money. It's got to be turning those research projects into actual businesses. Mm -hmm. And that's where we have been, in my opinion, inadequate in pushing that agenda and putting those requirements on Pisces, on the Office of Aerospace. Uh, They've done a great job at luring NASA and Boeing and, I mean, some of the biggest aeronautical industries to Hawaii. But really, after research, we got to create jobs for local kids. Well, but, you know, Rob Kelso from Pisces, I mean, he was working on the lunar concrete project and various projects that look to actually have a a uh, sort of earth terrestrial component that would prove in the technology that would then get perhaps exported to the moon or Mars. Um, so he's already been going down that path. What what new reinventing of himself does he have to do? That's a an ideal situation, but I the way we we are looking at promoting that project, it's one company out of Houston. And I don't feel comfortable using your taxpayer money to fund what essentially is going to be a business plan for this company ah. to, to make money. Mm-hmm. It should be, if, if they want to take the chance, then they should come here and spend $250 on the research that they need to test the market mm-hmm. rather than come to the legislature at HTDC mm-hmm. to ask us for the $250 million, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a profitable venture. Why are the people of Hawaii helping one specific company take concrete to the moon? Open mm-hmm. it up to everybody or have the business interest pay for that study themselves. Mm-hmm. I see, mm-hmm. I see. Now, Robbie, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, capital improvement funds and facilities. And one of the things that we've been tracking for years on our show, of course, was the HDDC and finding a oh, uh, more permanent or perhaps a more suitable and expandable home for both the organization and the organizations that you support. And um, I perhaps need an update on where those initiatives are now and if that might play a part in this second half of the biennium in terms of uh, the Kakako facility, for example. So the Kakako facility and the Entrepreneur Sandbox that you're hearing about is really an auxiliary to our Manoa Innovation Center. So it's actually going to be able to allow us to do programs that we haven't been able to do because we have limited space in our current facility. It's 13,500 square feet. We're really excited about it because I consider it like an innovation rec center. So people of all ages can come, learn how to do um, prototyping, learn how to make things. We'll have a digital media uh, center there. We'll have a makery in there. 
lots of collaboration space because you know that's where ideas are generated. So it's an an add-on. So we are not actually this year going after to find a replacement or a home for our innovation center, but we're really concentrating on getting funding to complete the sandbox. As you know, we got $3 million from the federal government through the Economic Development Authority. We also have a private sector putting in $1.3 million. So it's a perfect public-private partnership for the state, one of the first of its kind, to bring in private sector money to help fund a state building. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where along the timeline is the sandbox? Is it something that you still need some additional funding to make happen? And if you were to get it this session, where would what, what point in time would you actually be breaking ground? So if we were to get funding this year through the legislature, we can break ground um, in the beginning of 2017. Mm-hmm. So we actually have already started the master planning and the construction design from previous funding we received from the legislature a few years ago. So we've done the EIS and all the prep work. We found that in doing the EIS that the ground is not solid enough, which is why we need the additional funding to complete the project. Mm -hmm. So we're hoping that the legislature will see this as a worthy project, uh, which, you know, of course, we think it is for the innovation economy to to really jumpstart the 80,000 new jobs Mm -hmm. that we're trying Mm -hmm. to to create are you are you having uh let's see how do you envision running people through that to get sort of the numbers that you would like to achieve in achieving you know this sort of eighty thousand new jobs any sense of how you would be kind of bringing people through the center yeah so the center is really membership driven just like many co-working spaces are now collaboration spaces so the um, creative industries division at dbed will be running the digital media Mm -hmm. center because they have the qualifications and the skills to do that we are contracting with another group to run the makery it will all be membership based but again it's age less so, I mean, from young kids in grade school all the way up to our our seniors can come and learn how to make things because people can create jobs and create companies at any age, as we've seen recently through Startup Weekend. So, and also tourists could come, you know, so it's kind of like a win-win for everybody. So it's not just for companies, but it's for the community. Mm-hmm. Well, so Glenn, this might be a tougher question, but um, as we're talking about investments in facilities and public-private partnerships, and I can certainly see the benefits of that. I mean, taxpayer money should be treated with a much different set of criteria than perhaps something that there could be a business component to it. But we've had many co-working spaces, and we've now have fewer co-working spaces. We've had uh, independent people trying to run maker spaces as a sustainable business. So when we're talking about a facility that would be a state-run that would house things like that, is the plan to embrace these perhaps even struggling outside independents trying to be an independent makerspace and folding them in? Or, I mean, because one concern would be, is this subsidized facility competing with independent businesses? There's going to be that um, competition there. Mm. But Robbie has a revenue stream as well. So once we build it, that's not going to mean that the state will have to bankroll the entire operations, right? Fisher Hawaii, EK, the two main uh, bankrollees of the project right now are going to be paying leases to us. Right, right. So that's in addition to the, the rental space that Robbie just uh, talked about. But I just think that 
we we have to get it to a point where are we going to build it or we're not going to build it? We're going to fish or we're going to cut bait. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, if tech is important, facilities are important. This is a wonderful. State's only putting up forty percent of the of the entire eighty eight million dollar cost for this. What's not to like about that? Sure, box jelly. Some of the other uh, co working spaces might be affected, but hey, if we raise the tide for everyone, there should be more than enough people who can't find space in this new sandbox, and we'll go to box jelly and some of the others. Because otherwise, we're seeing the makeries and and, and these open co working spaces are just dying on their own. There's nothing that seems to pr- be providing the momentum to turn this thing around. And Robbie, you mentioned that there's a membership base, so obviously part of the grander vision is for these significant these particular operations within the facility to sustain themselves. Oh yes, definitely. You can never have too much co-working space. As you know, if you go to Box Jelly any time of the day, you can't hardly walk through there because there are so many people there. And the Impact Hub, they have so many members there already, and they sort of feed each other, you know. So the more you have, the better it is, the more excitement there is, the more energy there is. So then you can see other co-working spaces popping up. So even though we're having a lot of that, then, um, yeah, I think it's just going to really feed and help grow innovation more. Yeah, just look, wanna, at, look at the neighborhood Starbucks. Uh, yeah, and I want to <laughs> talk a little bit more about some of the pi- public-private partnerships that you might sort of evolve through uh, collaboration in the sandbox. So we'll hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with both Robbie Melton and State Senator Glenn Wakai about the tech scene in 2016. What are some of these additional initiatives and how will they help diversify our economy? Of course, we'd love to hear from you. You can call 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands dial 877-941-3689. This is Bite Marks Cafe. For sheer cinematic spectacle, it's hard to beat the classics of the silent movie days when images and music left plenty of room for a viewer's imagination. There's plenty to imagine in an upcoming screening of the Lon Chaney Hunchback of Notre Dame, accompanied by a live performance of medieval French music. We'll get a preview tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. Hi, this is Ray Cruz inviting you to join me tonight from 8 to 10 for Latin Beat. I'll be playing classic Afro-Cuban Latin jazz, Latin big band classics, and share the latest releases in Latin jazz. That's Latin Beat tonight from 8 to 10 here on HBR2, member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. See you tonight. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ran Ozawa. And we are here with Robbie Melton from the HTDC and State Senator Glenn Wakai. We're talking about science and tech in the 2016 legislative session. And, of course, you can give us a call here. That number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Right before the break, we were talking about the uh, sandbox, and I wanted to uh, give Robbie a little bit more opportunity to kind of explain how this public-private partnership might work. And it's not about hiring more HTDC employees to run the sandbox. So you are thinking of perhaps 
you know, like uh, maybe somebody from the Box Jelly can do some of the co-working uh, efforts or maybe somebody from Oahu Makerspace can help with the makerspace uh, in the sandbox? That's exactly it. As I had mentioned with the Digital Media Center, the Creative Industries Division at DBED will be running that. We will also be looking to have another group that would be interested in managing the makery mm -hmm. because they're the ones with the skills that would be in doing the training and overseeing that operations because they have the know-how. We don't necessarily have that know-how. And then also for the co-working space, it's possible to entertain that one of the existing co-working space owners might be interested in managing that for us. Um, but, yeah, so it's, it's more of a community, again, bringing in more public-private partnerships to work with the state. You know, because we see that as the good model for good business and good government. Well, I know we have some calls to get to, but Glenn, you had a thought? I just wanted to let you know that there's going to be some pushback from my colleagues about whether that sandbox should be in Kaka'ako. I think I joined Robbie in arguing that, you know, with all of the development in that Kaka'ako area, the 8080 folks are the very ones that are going to be in the position to purchase condos in that area and walk right across the street to go to work. There's been talk about there's been talk about putting this this sandbox or some iteration of it out in West Oahu. Uh, land is cheap, but I'm not too sure if that's going to get us to where we are, want to go. I mean, look at the Mililani Tech Park; it's underperforming because why? Because it's a little too far mm -hmm. from town, and I don't want us to go down that same road of making a mistake and putting any kind of innovation hub too far from where the action is in in town. Mm -hmm. No, great, great idea. So. Uh, we want to welcome a couple of folks uh, who are on the line now. Derek from, uh, let's see, what new, new house, new house, Derek, new house. That's new. right. Yeah, but it's N U H O U S E oh, not cool. U S, not new N E W. <laughs> Very good. So, uh, Derek, uh, do you have a question for our steam uh, panel here? Terrific. Thank you. Yes, and did you have a question? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, I, you know, Kirk Caldwell passed the ADU legislation uh, last year, and there are a lot of companies, including my own, that are uh, jumping in with new and innovative ideas on smart eco-living. And we wanted to hear what you had to say about that and where the ADU and small sustainable living home market might fit into your new jobs initiative. ADU, can you uh, uh, clarify what that is? Alternative dwelling units. Ah, Accessory, yeah, accessory dwelling accessory, units, yes. uh, they've been um, a common practice on the outer islands for some time, often referred to as ohanas or cottages. Um, the regulatory requirements through the Department of Permitting and Planning is different for each island uh, or each permitting group, and Oahu has passed its own regulations in the last four or five months, but it's going to open up a tremendous amount of potential, hopefully to address our uh, housing crisis here on the islands, um, both for... Well, uh, you know, low-income, uh, homeless, as well as just people that, that uh, even moderate income and want to find a place to live on Oahu. Absolutely. That's a fantastic question. Thank you very much for your call. So he's from Newhouse, N-U-H-O-U-S-E dot U-S. We even have a local company working its way through the startup ecosystem, Elevate, which is also building these very small elevated units that you could put in the backyard of a home and provide yeah, more elevate, affordable right? home. Elevate, yes, yes mm -hmm. Elevate for someone else. And Robbie, you seem excited by yeah, this. Yeah, I'm <laughs> totally excited. I've met with several companies that are in this space. And this is an innovative, and that's why we like it, because it's an innovative way to create affordable living spaces that are very nice. You know, it's not a shack. These are very well-built homes. And we just think it's 
It's great. It's going to create jobs for people because they're going to need people to help build these homes. So we are all for it. I think it's exciting to see all the different types of homes being developed. So it certainly fits in with our 8080 plan of creating new innovation jobs. Mm-hmm. Do you do you see a direct connection with some of the initiatives that you're working on whether it's a sandbox or you know uh to and maybe some of the you know the training that might come in as a result of the uh, federal money? How would that tie into some of these alternative uh, dwelling units? So so we also have the manufacturing oh, assistance right. program. So for companies that are manufacturing, I know there's a group in Maui that is are manufacturing their eco homes. Tiny homes. And so mm-hmm. yeah, they're tiny mm-hmm. homes. And so they would be eligible to apply for funding to help them in their manufacturing process. Oh, very good, very good. Uh, Glenn, did you have any thoughts? I mean, I, I think the point that he was making is right now, great that this is advancing, but now you have a mix mix of uh, regulations to whether or not or how these units can be uh, built. Is there a state-level solution to making that a little more uniform? I think the state is still trying to find its way. I like the idea of having these alternative dwelling units uh, because we have to take new approaches to the same old problems. But I hope a lot of these alternative uh, units are going to be actually rentals because we need to help get to the rental market. A lot of times we talk about housing and we talk about people purchasing. Well, not everybody can purchase. I think it's 43% of our communities are renters. So I hope that uh, we can also talk about uh, making affordable rental units. Well, we've uh, we've got the uh, calls all lined up for uh, Senator Wakai and Robbie Melton, and we've got Roger from the North Shore patiently waiting. Roger, uh, welcome to Bite Mark Cafe. Hello. Hey. Hi. I, I think you're uh, you're catching a lot of wind sound or something. Okay. Well, maybe not. Thank well, you. We'll for... go on to our next caller, which is uh, um, Wiley, I guess, from Kamuela. Welcome to uh, Bite Mark's Cafe. Hello, thank you for this opportunity. I, I wanted to ask the senator. Um, I'm a retired uh, technician from one of the observatories on Mauna Kea. I worked there 18 years. And I'm also, and this is very important, have Hawaiian ancestry. And I'm very concerned about some radical Hawaiians whose publicly stated objective is to remove, have the telescopes on Mauna Kea and Haleakala removed, thereby destroying astronomy in Hawaii. And I would like to see the legislature push back against this effort. I think it's tragic. It's wrong-headed. And um, so I'd like, uh, please, uh, what, what's your what's your view on this? I am sure. a big, Thank big, you. big fan of uh, aerospace, and part of that is the observatories. The best collection of telescopes on the planet are within our state. And I don't know if we need legislation to help get the TMT folks through the process. I did have a meeting with their representatives last week, and I was pleasantly surprised that they're not giving up. They're not going to just roll over and let this uh, take their telescope to Chile. They're going to be taking another crack at it. But I think what they really need to do is better public relations and tell the story based on facts, science, economic opportunities uh, to balance out the very vocal minority of folks who uh, use emotional tactics to thwart the opportunities that are on that uh, mountain. But I don't think there needs to be legislation that will help them through. We just need to uh, change the public sentiment, and, and I think they need a better PR plan. Well, yeah. I definitely think it fits that that A in your plan. Aeronautics is an important area, and 
I think that uh, it's it's certainly more about the community relations and, and getting that message out. And I think that fortunately there's more and more quantifiable data in terms of the sport, especially in the business community, but even the broader community, to at least find a collaborative way forward to keep that uh, that kind of innovation here in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Yeah, A4 Astronomy. I love so it. Yes. I believe we are going to try to go back to George. No, George. Roger. Roger. Oh, Roger. Roger. Yeah. <laughs> Roger, are you there? Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yes. yes. All right. Uh, great day. Thanks for, thanks for the show. Uh, I'm just, I was intrigued by uh, Senator Wakai's kind of challenge, you know, his, his three A's. And, uh, you know, what else can be, can Hawaii be a world leader in? Mm-hmm. I think, I think we got to add an S, sustainability. We are so isolated that, you know, sustainability is, is essential to us. And we can, we can share that with the world. I mean, people lived here, hundreds of thousands of people lived here before barges, before Madsen, and were able to sustain themselves. And I think we can, uh, there is something that Hawaii can, can lead the world in, in that area. And uh, so, Roger, are you referring to, let's say, sustainable agriculture? Agriculture starts with an E. Yes, it Just does. sustaining ourselves, period. You know, we, we, we rely so much on external inputs, but we can live within our means here. And we can show the world how to do that. We just have to, we have to do it. We have to adopt the mindset that, you know, the first people in Hawaii had, that this is what we have to work with and this is what we work with. All right. Well, good uh, point. Good point, Roger. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the call. Now, uh, Senator, in terms of legislation, I mean, what is it that you think would uh, be potentially put forth by the legislature that would help foster this idea of sustainability? Well, we have to get more land devoted to agriculture, and we can't cut it up and let gentlemen farms and all these other business activities take place on our agricultural lands. Uh, but the, going back to aquaculture, I mean, that's a new source of, of meat, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't take as much land, obviously, as, as growing cattle and pig. But, you know, about the sustainability idea, I'm a fan of it, but at the same token, I want to see agriculture be an economic driver. And we have to find with it and talk about the commu- talk with the community about do we want to see agriculture as just, just about sustainability, where we're going to just grow bread, fruit, taro, and we eat rice, right? Mm-hmm. Are we going to grow rice and compete with Thailand, or should we look at agriculture as an economic engine? Should we pivot towards growing cacao, growing vanilla? growing more Kona coffee or coffee, you know, high-value commodities for our agricultural industry. That's a, a discussion that I think we as a community should try and figure out mm, because are we going to yeah, just grow what we eat or are we going to grow and create economic opportunities? Right. Great, great point, great point. Uh, we have uh, Tom also on the line from Honolulu. Welcome to Bike Marks Cafe. Thank you very much. My question has to do with the Innovation Center and it's two parts. The first is, how does the University of Hawaii fit into the Innovation Center? And the second is, if we're going to pour $88 million into a building, which is 40% funded by the state, why is it we can't fund the Cancer Center in its deficit? 
Thank you very much. That's a relatively Good concise question. set yeah. of questions. Well, certainly the first I know, Robbie, you're able to uh, answer. So um, About UH's maybe connection. And, and, of course, don't forget there's the iLab over at the UH yes. that's getting started with the Innovation Lab. Oh, yeah, that's an exciting, the iLab school. So, you know, we work with, with UH in, in a num- number of different capacities. So we've been collaborating with them through their Accelerate UH Accelerator program and working with OTED and working with faculty members who want to start new companies. And that's been part of our Innovation Center since its inception 25 years ago. So we have that link with UH. I know they have a bigger vision for working with their faculty, but we do collaborate with them to, to some extent. And with the Sandbox, too, you know, they're welcome to be participating in the digital media. They've got some new faculty members that are doing ex- incredible research that, I, you know, it's so technical I can't understand, but it's part of that digital age and visualization. Yeah, and well, uh, you talk about Jason Lee's yes, uh, visualization Jason, lab, yes, yeah, Cyber yeah. Canoe. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's exciting, and so we see that as part of the sandbox. And unfortunately, I cannot answer about the cancer center dilemma. That's not that's those numbers. Sort of those numbers, I didn't quite catch. The, oh yeah. The, so we're only asking for three million dollars from the state to help build the sandbox. The sandbox is really a six point eight seven million dollar project, mm-hmm. and out of that, we're only asking for state funding for three million dollars. And then you that. would make the rest up through. So the EDA. So we've got okay. federal fund, and that's another. You know, you talk about putting it out on West Oahu. Well, our grant is for a specific site. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be possible to move it to another location because we've locked that in with our public-private partnership and with the EDA. Excellent. Now, we've only scratched the surface of the many things that might come up at this upcoming legislative session. So, Glenn, I'm going to turn it over to you to help us to wrap it up. Wrap it up in a way that if a listener right now says, okay, whether it was ADUs or whether it was uh, alternative energy or even sustaining astronomy, and they just want to have a voice, they want to be heard and understand and make sure legislators understand their interest, what would your advice to them be? Every one of your listeners has a senator and a representative. Start holding all of us accountable. If we're passing legislation that is detrimental to your your employees or your your business, then hold us accountable. Don't reelect people who are anti-business um, and that that's that's how the public should be fully engaged in what we're doing at the at the legislature and i really hope that we end this notion of the price of paradise we kind of all resign ourselves to oh um it's terrible we live here it's like i want to change the discussion to profits in paradise we need to pivot into a a much more positive optimistic way of viewing economic growth uh, in this state so I encourage your listeners to really get engaged. It's easy. Uh, and I, I have email access, phone. You can walk in very open to, to the public and convey to me what you think I'm doing right and what I, you think I'm doing wrong. Very good. And, Robbie, where can we keep up with uh, all the things happening with HDDC? So on our website, hddc.org, we actually have a legislative slate okay. so that you can sign up and get notification for all the bills related to tech and innovation. So we do not just things pertaining to HDDC, but everything that pertains to tech and innovation businesses. And we provide updates. But I want to echo what Senator Wakai said. People think it takes too much effort. But you can 
talking to your legislator is the most effective way to, and it's easy. Okay. And Bert has proven that himself. That's right. Yes. <laughs> he was eating in my office this afternoon. Yeah, very good food. <laughs> and, yes. and, uh, I thank you, Senator Wakai. Well, my of course, pleasure. Robbie Melton is the CEO of the High Tech Development Corporation, and Senator Glenn Wakai chairs the Economic Development, Environment, and Technology Committee. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week. We'll talk about the mental health of entrepreneurs. Yes. And, of course, uh, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And, of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong. And our executive producer is Beth Ann Koslovic. And, of course, we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a Polish band called DNF and VNA Logic. Here's a, band, here's a song called Let's Go. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.